0: Well, hey there friends, you are tuned in to the Unconventional Yogi Podcast with yours truly, Colette Marie. Oh, it's nice to be back on here, hanging out with you all, talking about all sorts of wonderful things. And though it has been a couple weeks, I thought I would come back to the journey of the Yamas according to the yoga sutras and the eight limbs of yoga and this is also a little bit of a milestone because this is episode number 60. So far 60 episodes including this one have been curated and that's pretty exciting stuff. So in honor of that nice milestone of being episode number 60 I will complete the series pertaining to non-attachment but i wanted to provide more context regarding that particular yama because there's more information to share and you know information is always a good thing and this time i'm actually going to read from the yoga sutras of patanjali because though the internet is great i love the internet i love searching for a myriad of things on the internet reading a book is still number one I have so many books on yoga and I forget that they're all right there and it's so easy for me to jump on the internet and search for things and I've gotten really good at it but I forget that I actually have the sources in hand and that all I need to do is just walk 10 feet over to the bookshelf and grab the book that I need And so here we are, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, translated by Sri Swami Satchidananda. It's a mouthful, I know. Sri Swami Satchidananda. And his translation and commentary. So with that in mind, let us look at again one more time The eight limbs of yoga, which are yama, which is translated as abstinence, niyama, observance, asana, posture, pranayama, breath control, pratyahara, sense withdrawal, dharana, concentration, dhyana, meditation, and samadhi, which is contemplation, absorption, or superconscious state. So those are the eight limbs, okay? And when we practice yoga in the physical form, that is referred to as Hatha Yoga. I know for years I've been saying that word Hatha, pronouncing the T and the H, but that's not so. Hatha Yoga is the proper pronunciation of that word, and that is the yoga of movement or yoga of activity or To create heat. So the physical form, the movement form, the form of yoga that requires sort of an exercise aspect is hatha yoga and then under that umbrella you have all of these various physical forms and styles and practice of hatha yoga such as yin, restorative, vinyasa, Ashtanga, right? So on and so forth. Bikram, it still falls under Hatha Yoga because it is a physical practice. Breaking that down further, we have the Yamas, the abstinences or the abstaining of things. And under the abstaining of things, we have a parigraha, that might pronounce, be pronounced slightly differently. But we get the idea of what I am trying to say, which is the non-greed or non-hoarding or non-attachment. So that particular sub I would say sublim is what we're talking about today. And it's what I've been talking about for the last two podcasts pertaining to a, ver- a variety of current affairs, one in particular gender identity. But we're going to move on from there because there's really no need to continue down that particular path because this concept applies to everything, not just one kind of identity, but all of our identities. So in the most recent podcast, I talked a little bit about our attachment to our identities. Now, the other translation is non-greed. Non-greed can be applied also to how we perceive ourselves or what we think about ourselves or what we think we need to have in terms of uh, mental, emotional, psychological possessions, physical possessions in terms of beauty or how we perceive ourselves regarding that, hair. Makeup, clothes, how we adorn the physical body, all of that falls under attachment and or greed and or hoarding, um, depending on the extent of how we exercise all of these things. So keeping that in mind, deferring to that term non-hoarding, non-greed and non-attachment are essentially concepts moral um, principles that you can apply to your everyday life and how you perceive the world around you and most importantly, how you perceive the world within your own mind. And that includes all of the things that we collect emotionally, physically, psychologically, energetically, spiritually, Those are all collections. All of those experiences, all of those things have a kind of attachment associated with it. And we have built our identities around all of these things. And without those things, we sometimes don't know who we are. We've become so invested in to each and every single identity that we have either been bequeathed and or have cultivated along the way of our developmental years and into our adolescence and or created for ourselves and recreated for ourselves as we became adults and working professionals and created for ourselves and recreated for ourselves as we started to build our educational portfolio, financial portfolio, have become more savvy in our fields and have acquired more uh, material Goods and gains and things because we have made more money in life asset building, stock portfolio, 401k, IRA, retirement, pensions, bank accounts, savings accounts, all of these wonderful things that we accumulate in our life experience but how much of that do we actually need so according to the the yoga sutras of patanjali it's accumulating only what you need but now we get into the idea of needs and what we actually need versus what we want and do the wants and the needs actually coincide now that is quite a conundrum if you really think about what that means we are implying or I am implying rather that there is a symmetry between wanting and needing or there can be but in this case uh, when we think about non attachment non greed non hoarding there is a separation between that which we need and that which we want because what we want might outweigh what we actually need because Okay, we need toilet paper. So we go out and buy the basic kind of toilet paper. Not comfortable, because we all know when we go out and buy the cheap toilet paper, that it breaks, it tears, it's hard, it's not soft, it's uncomfortable on on sensitive tissue, And but because it was a dollar and all we have is a dollar, so we buy the, the less expensive items because that's all we can afford. I get it, we all get it, we've all been there for the most part. However, as our financial landscape changes, as our perception of self changes, as our identities begin to change and everything around us begins to adhere to what those changes are, we then upgrade to the Charmin Ultra Soft Toilet Tissue, which is like $5 a unit. And it's like that double ply, super soft, ultra stitching, whatever. And it feels like butter on the skin now we can't do without it life is not quite the same going backwards getting that old school 99 cent tissue from the dollar store right so so that's therein is a a basic example of needs and wants changing or finding symmetry we need toilet tissue but we want charmin so We align the two and make them one and the same. Toilet tissue is met with the upgrade of the kind and quality of toilet tissue. (laughs) You know, this can go on and on and on. We can say the same about public transportation versus a private conveyance, aka car, and what kind of car as, as we begin to evolve as human beings and as individuals, making our way through life what we perceive to be really good what we perceive to be a need and what we perceive to be a want we then try to find a way to bring the two together I need a car I want a Lexus well you can go out and get a basic car I don't know whatever the most whatever the least expensive item is for sale that's like used for like nine hundred dollars you might have to fix it up a bit, drop another G, and then you have a perfectly functioning vehicle for your basic needs to be met. However, if your perception of self is changing and your desire to have something better is evolving as a result of your self-perception changing and your quote-unquote needs are changing and evolving, therefore, you no longer want that $900 uh, hoopty. You want to upgrade to that nice, fancy uh, Lexus model, whatever, because now you feel like you're doing Uh, you're reflecting where you are in life with that Lexus need need a car want a Lexus boom need and want a line now how far does that go so that is where non attachment non greed non hoarding all come into play when it comes to this particular concept I need food so you can go out and buy a basic piece of meat chicken what's on sale and some vegetables and let me tell you something friends buying fresh is not expensive it's actually quite cost-effective it's the stuff in the middle aisles that add up we have this warped sense of perception regarding fresh is it more expensive and you can't people can't afford it that's not entirely true at all so you can make a fabulous meal on super little money and it's a fresh meal versus a bagged item or a processed item and the nutrition value is low and the health benefits are super low all of that to be said you need food you get a piece of chicken you get some fresh vegetables boom you have a meal now uh how fancy do you want the chicken to be i don't know do you want to go to the the counter and find that nice marinated piece of chicken or do you buy the marinade yourself spend the extra have it marinate overnight. Grill it up if you have the time. Grill up your vegetables. Throw in a little olive oil, a little sea salt, a little pepper. Boom, you have a fabulous meal for a little more money. But still, the need and the want are there. Versus going to buy a uh, a prepackaged item because you think that's all that is out there and that is all that can be afforded. I'll have to tell you, there's more out there than what you think. That being said need and want now do you want to go to a fabulous restaurant now that changes the whole thing i need food i want to go to ruth chris's right need uh and then there's the restaurant the high end restaurant do we actually need to go there of of course not but it's food it's an elevated experience of food and someone else is handling it for you so the need and the want somehow collide into each other in that respect but How often do we need to do that? So why am I saying any of this? Because everything that we think about in terms of who we think we are as human beings, changes or evolves or is elevated as a result of some life experience or some epiphany or some occurrence in life that might alter your own personal perspective and then, therefore, your needs and desires shift and change. Your want level is going to shift and change as well. And if the two align, great. And if not, ah, eh, that's where we start to run into some trouble. We become an overextended populace in terms of spending money on our credit cards and being unable to pay them off and being in a world of debt. So there is a downside to only thinking about our wants and not really focusing on the basic needs and recalibrating our wants according to our basic needs so that we're not in a bunch of debt. And because we have this unusual sense of what's important in life and that our identities won't be served best if we don't indulge all of the time, That if we do something less than what's expected of us and we are somehow less we're not as good or not as amazing or some people might perceive us as being um, sort of you know slang word using pedestrian when it comes to our our sense of taste and what we want and what we experience in life and that's not a good view to harbor But it does happen. And when I think about my own personal identity, I think about all the experiences which led up to what I perceive as the self of who I am right now today, talking into the microphone on this podcast. There have been a lot of things which occurred in my life which have contributed to the Colette Marie that is currently uh, in play right now. Colette Marie will change again tomorrow and she'll change again next week and next year and she'll be a different Colette Marie ten years from now. I won't look the same. I won't think the same. So my identities are constantly shifting and change is the only constant. Change. 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 And change is not easy for a lot of us that tend to love the traditional aspects of life, that have gotten comfortable in the routine, that have gotten comfortable with the way things are. And let me tell you, I'm also one of those people. I've gotten real comfortable with the way things are in my life, because for so long, I have been bouncing around. I've been moving here, living here, living in one apartment, moving to another apartment, having this social relationship, having that social relationship, having this romantic relationship and that romantic relationship, changing my hair, changing my clothes, changing how I look changing how I talk, changing how I think, constantly going all over the place. And this is the first time in my life where there's a nice constancy, there's a nice evenness at play. I know who I am now, I know where I am, I know what I am, I know what I am doing, where I am doing it and why I am doing it. And it took all of these things to get there, but even still, even though I'm anchored for the first time in my life, I'll have to pull the anchor up and let the boat sail on in terms of my aging because that's now a new change I am currently experiencing because I'm no longer 35 years old or 24 years old or 42 years old. I'm entering into the decade of being in my 50s and this is a whole new terrain that I will be traversing and learning from and experiencing experiencing and all that comes with it and you know, God willing, inshallah, I'll be moving along into my 60s and 70s and 80s. And however long I am allowed to be on this planet. And then that's it. Then I check out whenever that is. So while I am living and breathing and doing and thinking and enjoying life and doing the work and Working and, and trying to learn at the same time being back in college at this late, later age in life as a student at Temple University, I, I'm often faced with changes with regards to my body. You know, so there are a lot of new things that I'm experiencing that I didn't have to experience before. And some of them are disconcerting, some of them are agonizing, some of them are frustrating. But I remember that it changes constant. Of course, it's hard to really, you know, jump on that thought in the midst of like sort of a mental, like, you know, emotional meltdown when I'm thinking about something, but eventually the calm comes through And I remember that this is a temporary situation because remember, folks, everything in life is finite. Everything in life is impermanent. And in the Taoist, yogic and Buddhist traditions, impermanence is often discussed. It's often taught. It's often spoken about because these three particular uh, spiritual practices uh, want the practitioner to bear in mind that because everything in life is impermanent, to not be attached to everything so tightly, and to remember that there is this concept of non-self, and that's really hard to mentally embrace. I mean, it's kind of, it's downright like scary if you really think about it. It kind of freaks me out sometimes. It's it's sobering, really. To think about the non-self, who, who, who the heck is that non-self? It's the non-self. The non-self is the non-self. There is no Colette. She doesn't even exist in the non-self. Ooh, right. So that's weird. And and so, as a species, as a populace, as a uh, an American in the United States, we, I, you, and I, or wherever you're living in whatever country you're living in. We are the cells within the collective self, within the collective country self, within the collective of a human uh, family self, within the collective of being in this environment on this planet. So there's this, it's it's like the Russian doll. There's the you and then there's all the other layers of the you and the collective us and the world at large and our environment and the planet and our solar system and it goes all the way out from there. But not to blow your mind too much with too much information, let's bring it back to the concept of non-attachment. In regards to politics and religion and medicine and cultural Uh, issues and social justice issues issues plaguing and having an adverse effect on public education and who we choose to vote for that's going to do the better job or the best job possible comes down to how we identify with the situations at hand So we do need to be invested in or invested into a wide variety of things so that we have a life experience that is fair and with compassion and equality, enrichment, right? a more favorable life experience if it can be had, or as close to it as possible. Because I do believe that every single person on the planet wishes to be happy in life, wishes to be uh, fulfilled in life, wishes to experience a more fulfilled life and be as close to that happiness line as possible. People don't inherently wish to be miserable. People do not inherently wish to be in a state of perpetual suffering, but it looks like that for some folks, especially when we start getting into areas of addiction and addiction is, is a plague upon the earth. And unfortunately we, you know, experience addiction at various levels. I myself suffered from addiction for some time and my addiction happened to be clove cigarettes. I don't know, for probably about 20 plus years. It was sporadic. I had my off and on moments. I didn't smoke in public. It was mostly at home, in private. Nevertheless, it was a habit, it was an addiction. And as as of three years ago, you know, I've been, that particular addiction is no longer present in my life. I still think about it. Sometimes I still wish I had one. But I know that if I opened up that particular Pandora's box, I would be sucked down that rabbit hole for a long time and it's very hard to get out of. So addiction is difficult. People who have alcohol addiction, drug addiction, and I'm not talking about cannabis or psilocybin or things like that. I'm talking about prescription drugs. Opioid addiction is a problem. So, uh Sex addiction is a problem. I'm not talking about good, healthy sex with your partner. You guys are having a great time or you're having a great time by yourself with folks that are healthy and yet you're having a productive and healthy and fun sexual relationship. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking the kinds of sex addictions that break up families, that cause divorces, that, that pr- cause problems for children in the family unit. Just like gambling, you gamble all your money away, you lose money to pay your bills, you lose the house, you have to, you have to either sell the house or the house goes into auction. People, people lose their spouses over gambling addictions. People lose families breakup over gambling addictions. Next thing you know, folks are you know kind of in the street and there's this cycle that can just continues on. That's the kind of addictions that I'm talking about, the kind that are super harmful, that put you in a deep, dark place where it's difficult to get out of and you need professional help to see the light and that is that not that greed that hoarding that attachment things just got way 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 out of hand and so how do you bring yourself back to baseline in those specific cases you need professional help to get you back on track if you're in a position where you're emotionally erratic emotionally imbalanced psychologically imbalanced you have a lot of misplaced anger, you have a lot of misplaced emotions, your dial, your emotional dial is super high, then there's an imbalance there in the psyche because you're being triggered at every turn and if that is the case, yes, professional help is wise to have because in those instances, something very small might set you off and then you you explode and... The other person or people are not quite sure where that energy is coming from. So that creates confusion. And so that's a hoarding of emotion, hanging on to old stuff, hoarding of past experiences where you're constantly angry at the person, constantly in a state of suffering because of something that happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. People hang on to stuff all the time that happened between... A parent and themselves, and the parent is actually dead, and so the but they're still hanging on to the stuff. It's really a sad place to be, but it happens all of the time, and that's that hoarding of emotion. See, we can hoard physical things, cars, cash, homes, uh, jewelry, right? We can hoard that stuff, but we can also hoard experiences and emotions and feelings and not let them go if they need to be released that's what i'm talking about and that is where non-attachment comes into being i have talked way too long about this situation i'm going to cut it off here friends thank you for listening to the unconventional yogi podcast with yours truly i hope that this was helpful And I look forward to the next one. If you're in the Philadelphia area and you're looking to jump in on a yoga class with yours truly, come find me on IamColette.com. I teach at Palo Santo uh, Wellness Boutique and Yoga Studio here in South Philly if you're ever interested. Thanks again, friends. And I'll check back in with you very soon.